We don't need no education. Oh yeah, well that's a double negative. That was Wayne Fetterman, comedian, actor, musician, Emmy Award-winning producer, and also a professor at USC and a podcaster on the topic of the history of stand-up comedy. Hello, and welcome to episode 113 of the Occasional Film Podcast, the occasional companion podcast to the Fast Cheap Movie Thoughts blog. I'm the blog's editor, John Gaspard. In today's episode, I chat with Wayne Fetterman about one key facet of stand-up comedy, the stand-up comedy album. It's an area of comedy that's always fascinated me, how it started and the impact it's had on the rise of stand-up comedy. So that's where we started the conversation. When was the first stand-up comedy album released? I want to just kind of start at the beginning. If, if okay. you have any idea who performed or produced or released the very first quote-unquote stand-up comedy album. The first album recorded, there's some controversy about it, but it's going to be either Red Fox's Laugh of the Party, Volume 1, from mm-hmm. 1956. But in 1955, there was an album of Mort Saul recorded, but it wasn't released until 1960 which was after he had already released another album. It's a very tough question and a terrible answer, but it would be probably those two guys, I would say, are in the running for the first comedy album would be Red Fox and Mortzal. Okay, and the genre that Red would slip into would be a genre that I didn't really follow that much, which was the, the party album. Correct. The party album concept was that these were albums that exactly as described, would be listened to at a party, usually an adult party. So it tended to have more what we would call body humor. It wouldn't be explicit the way people speak now on comedy albums and in life. But at that time, it was, yeah, it was it was something. And, and these were usually all on minor labels Mm -hmm. that um, because people could still get in trouble for swearing because of something called community standards back then. So a lot of times in the record store, when there were record stores, you would have to ask for it specifically. It wouldn't be like up in the counter. It wouldn't be in the displayed. It would be like, do you have the new, let's say, Rusty Warren album? Yeah. yeah, she was like a singer who also did sort of body songs and told sort of jokes about, you know, breasts and and guys getting laid and things like that. There was a number of them. There was yeah. uh, Knockers Up being the one I've, I ran across knockers, the most. Sold millions of copies, millions yeah. of copies. Knockers Up. Knockers Up. It's just hard to imagine these days a party where the entertainment was you all sat around and listened to a record. Well, exactly. Quaint. It's quaint. (laughs) Exactly. It seems like it's. But if you think about it, the power of the comedy album was in the fact that for the first time you were transported to these adult nightclubs 
or coffee houses or theaters where stand-up comedy was being performed. Before then, you would never hear anything like that. You heard there was obviously comedy records, but they were usually produced in a studio. Mm-hmm. So this is this was all this was all something very new. And and this was an outgrowth of the the sort of explosion of nightclubs. It was a convergence of a number of things. Because if you think of those first big breakout albums, which was of course the Red Fox and then Mort Saul and then Shelley Berman and then a guy named Bob Newhart. Those were mm-hmm. kind of like the first ones. So those were all comedians still trying to break through. This wasn't like big Jimmy Durante or Milton Berle or Bob Hope or any of the big nightclub headliners weren't putting out their records. As a matter of fact, there was a big divide between the older generation or let me put it this way, maybe the less established generation and the established guys, because they were making, you know, this is when Vegas started hitting. So these guys. It's like Alan King. Yeah, Alan Alan King King was making whatever, 15 grand a week or 20 Mm -hmm. grand a week. And he was like, why should I put my act out for a dollar 98? It just didn't make any sense. Not realizing the transformative power of like, oh, my God, we get to go to a nightclub here in our living room in Des Moines, but also the promotional value of those albums. So it was a real there was a real divide about whether to put this stuff out or not. So would there be would the analog be comedians today doing podcasts in order to build up their audience? So when they do go on the very similar yeah, yes, that's a great, great analogy. Great analogy about stand-ups and technology. It's just a way to get your brand out there so that there is an audience 100%. When, you, when you show yes. up in town. Yes, okay. you got that. At that point with Mort Saul, he is a contemporary at that point with Lenny Bruce. They're running kind of the same track, right? They were um, not that. They're there at the same time. Lenny Bruce is not as successful as Mort Saul was at this time. Like you said... Mort Saul started touring with a jazz band, the Dave Brubeck trio or whatever that was. And then he also got fame for kind of doing comedy in this new style, whereas Lenny Bruce was still, he was playing strip clubs uh, in Los Angeles. So Lenny Bruce was primarily a Los Angeles act. It's a little later, okay. while Mort Saul was a little more famous. And Mort Saul was really championed by local San Francisco writers at the the papers and she just became a thing it just mm-hmm. became like oh this is you don't have to be in a tuxedo you don't have to be doing mother-in-law jokes you don't have to be doing any of these things that people would see in vegas it's like oh this is powerful very powerful yeah. abc just announced that they were going to do 12 spectaculars on the civil war one a month there's a big interest in that in this country and are people who keep sand tables and little soldiers and everything so uh, really you know so they're going to do 12 spectaculars in color, tracing the history of the Civil War, one a month, which is pretty ambitious. And uh, that cost a lot of money, no matter how they did it, you know, whether they did it on videotape, the new process, or uh, on film. Or if they wait six months, they can do it live as a remote. I was thinking about that. <laughs> and that's a real shift from the Catskill comic, where they're all named Jackie, and they kind of trade the teens. <laughs> Yes, there was. There was a number, though. There were there were some Mortys. There yes. were some Mortys. There was some buddies. It wasn't all Jackies. No, but there yes, were a few. They all had that vibe to them. Yes. Yeah. I know at the beginning of uh, 
Broadway Danny Rose when the comics are sitting in the Carnegie yes. Deli. And one of my favorite comics, uh, Corbett Monica, uh-huh. is talking and he's telling about a joke that he tells that died the other night. Morty, I try Miami jokes. I don't know what works anymore. Why? What happened? Well, you know, I got that big Miami joke that I do, you know. You know about the hotels being expensive. Right. How much it costs to stay, like $150 a day for a sleeping room. And I said to the clerk, what's cheap? He said, I got a room for $10, but you got to make your own bed. And I said, I'll take it. So he gave me a hammer and a board and some nails. And that's the joke, you know. Yeah, it's a good joke. It works. Good joke. It's been working for years. Last night it died. Really? Died? I tell you, more. the audience sat there like they were an oil painting. I don't know why. It always works when I do it. You do that joke all the time. Maybe that's where I got it from. <laughs> and there was this, this understanding, I thought, that the jokes were kind of interchangeable. And you would, like a magician nowadays, will talk, if the two magicians are on the same show, they'll talk beforehand about, you know, we don't want to overlap tricks. And comics, I thought, used to have that same sort of discussion. If they're both on the bill, they'd say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you're not going to do this. Was it true that was that they just sort of traded stuff back and forth and it wasn't that personal comedy that Mortzall sort of first you know that as a general rule that is absolutely correct that is absolutely correct there were a number of Catskill comedians that did share material and it it was all kind of the same persona like I don't know if it was Morty Gunty was that different than Corbett Monica or Freddie Mm -hmm. Roman or all of those guys yeah but I, but looking back, I feel like that's a little bit of a uh, generalization because certainly there was there were comedians that were very creative. Like there was a radio comedian called Fred Allen who had a very popular show and his act was not at all interchangeable with what Jack Benny was doing on stage or even what Bob Hope was doing or even what there was a comedian named Gene Carroll who worked in New York City, even what she was doing or what Moms Mabley was doing. So I think it's a little bit of a misnomer that every comedian before Mort Saul had an interchangeable act, wore a jacket and did mother-in-law jokes. But that did exist. Getting back to Bob Newhart, I think I remember you talking on uh, the podcast that when he recorded his first album, that was the first time he had worked in a nightclub. Is that, that is am I remembering that right? That is correct. But up until that point, he had just been, I mean, he must've been doing it. He must've been doing it. He was routine. doing it, but it was more on, he was doing it with his radio buddies. So these okay. were like little radio skits they would do, or he would do on his friend's local radio show in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So there were recordings of it that that guy sent to, I, I think it was Warner Brothers Records. And they were like, yeah, oh, look, Mort Saul has this hit album recorded at this little room. And then Shelly Berman, based on Mort Saul's recommendation, he has this crazy hit album. (laughs) Also, you know, those are both on Verve Records, which was Mm -hmm. a kind of a jazz label. And Warner Brothers like, "Uh, we're a big company. Let's get on this. (laughs) Let's jump on this bandwagon. And so it was just a perfect timing. And they sent him down to uh, Houston, Texas, to a place called the Tidelands. And it's incredible because he wasn't even he wasn't the headliner. He was like opening for a singer or something. It's almost it's mind blowing because the whole thing about stand up comedy, at least when I was starting, was, oh, it's going to take you five years just to find your voice or find your own point of view or your own rhythm. And now here was this guy right out of the gate 
recording an album that dominates the charts in such a powerful way that that album wins the record of the year, beating out like Frank Sinatra, beating out the music acts. That's how big that album was. This is a telephone conversation between Abe and his press agent just before Gettysburg. Hi, uh, Abe, sweetheart, how are you, kid? <laughs> How's get it, Bert? Sort of a drag, huh? Well, Abe, you know them small Pennsylvania towns. <laughs> you seen one, you seen them all. <laughs> right. Uh, listen, Abe, I got to know it. What, what, what's the problem? You're, you're, you're thinking of shaving it off. Uh, Abe, uh, don't you see that's part of the image? Right, with the, with the shawl and the stovepipe at the string tie. You, you don't have the shawl. Uh, where's the shawl here? You, you left it in Washington. What are you wearing, Abe? A sort of cardigan? Can I also tell you a little bit of trivia? I mean, I know you know it from the podcast, but... Not only does that album win the record of the year and Bob Newhart wins Best New Artist, but the album was so popular that he rushed out another album, what's it called? The Button, the Button Down, Down Mind, Mind Strikes Back. But Strikes Back. Yeah. And that album won Best Comedy Album the same year. There's been nothing close to it. Although the only thing close to it was like when Chappelle put out four Netflix specials in one year. Mm -hmm. Like there would have been nothing like that. So. And that yeah. second, second album is pretty darn good. It is good. It is pretty yeah. good. The other one that I'm going to pull up that I know yeah. Uncle Harry would have opened for would be a guy named Woody Woodbury. Yes, out of Florida. I found a number of his albums. And they're oh, just... yes. Uh, they, they were huge sellers. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he straddled the world between the party record mm -hmm. and the traditional comedy record. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree. That Yes, absolutely agree. That's That was his market. and He had his own television show as well. He had a talk show. It was sort of based on the Tonight Show a little bit, mm -hmm. like that version. And yeah, no, he was definitely a huge player in early 60s stand-up comedy album boom. Well, age gets us all, doesn't it? We get a little older, we get a little forgetful. Though so those of you guys and girls in here who are young, you got that ahead if you, the good Lord lets you live that long. But I always say, forget the slander you've heard, forget the hasty, unkind word, forget the trials you've had, forget the weather if it's bad, forget the coffee if it's cold, forget the fact we're growing old, forget those gray streaks in your hair, forget you're not a millionaire, forget those lines around your eyes, forget those phonies in disguise, but remember one thing, because it means a lot. What was it now, damn it, I forgot. <laughs> In the early 60s, uh, you got Ed Sullivan, Toast of the Town, Ed Sullivan Show. Right. How, how did the Ed Sullivan Show help stand-up comics and their albums, or how did their albums get them on the Ed Sullivan Show? Was there any connection between the two? Ed Sullivan is really important in the history of the stand-up comedian because he had this very popular show on Sunday night at 8 o'clock on CBS. Mm -hmm. There was this family show that was, despite his limitations as a host mm -hmm. and as a personality was beloved by the United States. It was, he, he loved stand-up comics. Mm -hmm. 
And almost every show had at least one, sometimes two, sometimes two comics and a ventriloquist. It was like he there was a lot of work for stand up comedians. And this was the first time like you really saw a stand up kind of doing their act, even mm -hmm. though it was in obviously this theater. So it's not quite in the nightclub. But you would see that. And it definitely helped comedian get bookings in my, like Miami Beach or the Catskill Mountains or in New York at these big theaters that were called presentation houses. That's like uh, the Roxy or Lowe's or the Paramount. These are big multi-thousand seat theaters. So it was, yeah. So Sullivan was the nightclub comics dream booking. And then when the albums came along and he, this is an interesting like, again, there was a generational divide we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. This is really where it hit because these these new wave comedians, they call them, they, despite them being a little more intellectual than the Catskill guys, that they were still trying to get on Ed Sullivan's show. So they would use an album to get there as opposed to a booking at, let's say, the Latin Quarter or the Copa mm -hmm. or so wherever you know, Sullivan and, and his uh, talent bookers would hang out in New York. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. He had all those guys all there. Yeah. No, I know a lot of comedians didn't like doing that show because right before they would go on, they would be like, oh, you can only do four tonight as opposed to the seven. It mm -hmm. usually was a cutting situation. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. What was the first comedy stand up album that you ever got? It certainly wasn't the Bob Newhart. It wasn't any of those because I'm a little younger. I believe it was an album called Bill Cosby is a very funny fella, right? That's got Noah on it, right? Yes, Noah was his big breakout thing. Yeah. And I guess he had just done The Tonight Show. And yes, I had that album as a kid, but it was more the family had the album and I listened mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. But I do remember my uncle had an early Jackie Mason album that's like, I'm the greatest comedian in the world or something like that. I, so I heard that as well. But no, Cosby was very big in my house. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, it's hard to talk about him now because he's in jail, but. So uh, a couple more personal questions. Do you have a, anything? A, a, anything. A, 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 you got a, me. I'm here. A, a favorite uh, album or performer from that era of 60s and 70s. I, I really like those George Carlin albums, but I have to say I felt there was a re-release of Woody Allen's three Colpix albums. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have any of those. It was just called. The Nightclub Years. Yes, the nightclub, the brown. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. It's... That was the, I would say that was the main one that I was like, oh, this is insanely good. Yes, but it's... I really like those Carlin albums. I even listened to those Richard Pryor ones that had the N word in the title. Mm -hmm. And so those, yes. So thank you for asking. Uh, yes, I would say those are the albums that I really fascinated me. But I listened to the, the you know, oh, let me give you another one. I thought the, uh, there was a Flip Wilson album that I also enjoyed very much that had the ugly baby routine on it. And Geraldine was, was on it too. I think he did. I mean, he would always do a Geraldine type voice. There was a routine I remember he used to do about Christopher Columbus. And so Queen, the Queen of the Spanish Queen, uh, Isabel, mm -hmm. that was in the Geraldine voice. It was, the, it was that voice, but it was so great. At 35, he'd gotten out of grammar school. He arranged an audience with the queen, Queen Isabel. Isabel Johnson. That was the queen's name. 
And she asks him about this America project, and Chris tells her, if I don't discover America, it's not going to be a Benjamin Franklin or a Star Spangled Banner in the land of the free and the home of the brave and no Ray Charles. When the queen heard no Ray Charles, she panicked. The queen said, Ray Charles? You going to find Ray Charles? He in America? Chris is damn right. That's where all those records come from. <laughs> so the queen's running through the halls of the castle screaming, Chris going to find Ray Charles. He gone to America on that boat. What you say? But can we go back really quickly? Sure. Remember I said that I love that Woody Allen album mm-hmm. and that I and that Shelley Berman album, obviously, albums were incredible. Those were all because those guys had seen Mort Saul mm-hmm. perform and were like, oh, I could do this is possible in stand up mm-hmm. like this level of an intimate, not perfor- not hyper performative style. So both of those guys were inspired to get into the stand up game because of Mort Saul. Thanks to Wayne Fetterman for chatting with me on a topic I find endlessly fascinating, stand-up comedy albums. Did you enjoy this interview? You can find lots more just like it on the Fast Cheap Movie Thoughts blog. Check out the link in the show notes. Plus, more interviews can be found in my books, Fast, Cheap, and Under Control, Lessons Learned from the Greatest Low-Budget Movies of All Time, and its companion book of interviews with screenwriters, called Fast, Cheap, and Written That Way. Both books can be found on Amazon. And while you're there, check out my mystery series of novels about magician Eli Marks and the scrapes he gets into. The entire series, starting with The Ambitious Card, can be found on Amazon in paperback, hardcover, ebook, and audiobook formats. And if you haven't done it already, check out the podcast companion to the books, Behind the Page, The Eli Marks Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that's it for episode 113 of the Occasional Film Podcast, which was produced at Grass Lake Studios. Original music composed and performed by Andy Morantz. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you occasionally.